At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Church has been looking at an ancient creed of the church called the Apostles' Creed. It's a statement that was first originally written back in the second century um, and has been revised through the years as that language has changed in such things to make sure that the, the core beliefs of Christianity, as you study the scriptures carefully and accurately, that those messages percolate into statement, have percolated into statements that have helped us as a church to hold fast to what the scriptures do teach, to make sure that we can understand what is Orthodox Christianity? What is the solid historical teachings of Jesus? And they call it the Apostles' Creed because it's a statement that highlights or summarizes what the apostles taught. And so we've taken it phrase by phrase, and the phrase we'd look at tonight is this, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. Well, during the time of the death of Jesus, the Roman governor in charge of that region of Jerusalem was a man named Pontius Pilate. You've heard of him in, uh, maybe in your uh, time in the church. He was Caesar's representative over this very tumultuous region of Israel, uh, the Jews had been the hardest uh, region to conquer by the Roman Empire. And they're finding that it was just as difficult to maintain order now that they had conquered. And so it was, it was Pilate's responsibility to hold down the revolts and to hold down the disturbances of the Jewish people because there would be cultural and political and religious tension that always seemed to be right below the boiling point uh, there in that region of Jerusalem. And he did pretty well. But the present situation seemed to make quite a unique challenge because this man named Jesus from Nazareth was reported to have developed quite a following. It was kind of a fickle following, Right? So some people seemed to love him and some people seemed to hate him. And then even the people that loved him seemed to soon later dis decide to not embrace him. The large crowd seemed to diminish and then swell again. But this latest incident seemed to, seemed to cause great, great pain in the region because Jesus came into the city to celebrate, like many of the other Jews, this high and holy day of the Passover. But as he entered, the crowd seemed to swell in, with praise. But then he walked right to the temple 
and in an act that shamed um, and embarrassed the Jewish leaders, he accused them of turning the temple into a profit-producing marketplace. And he went through flipping tables and drove them out with all their wares. This seemed to tick them off more aggressively than what he's ever seen. In fact, they had him arrested. But now reports were that they were bringing him to the Roman authorities. So when they brought him to Pilate, he says, Sounds to me like a religious matter. Why don't you guys deal with it according to your law? And that's when they said, Your law does not allow us to put him to death. Put him to death? What's this man done? He's claiming to be king. We have only one king, and that's Caesar. So Pilate brings him into his headquarters for his inquisition and says to him, So you're the king of the Jews? Jesus says, You've said it. Oh, you're a king then? He said, my kingdom's not of this world. If that was, we'd be fighting back. He says, this moment is my purpose for coming into the world to bear witness to the truth. Pilate says, the truth. What's truth? So he brings Jesus back to the religious leaders that brought him to him, and he said, I don't find anything guilty of death. Take him back. They said, no, we don't want him back. You deal with him. He says, I always give you a prisoner on this, your holy day, so why don't you take this one? They said, we don't want him. Give us Barabbas. But Barabbas is a murderer. Give us Barabbas. And so that brings us to John 19, which is our study tonight. John 19, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, it's on the screen. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Or some of your versions might say, scourged him. This ruler who had just moments before declared him innocent decided to have Jesus flogged. Flogging or scourging was an extreme torture that the Romans had perfected. It was a way that they would beat a confession out of the most hardened of criminals. They'd be strapped to a post with the skin stretched tight and with a whip comprised of leather straps with, with metal or broken pottery in the, in the straps. Uh, they'd whip the back of that criminal with each blow ripping shards of skin off the person. And an official roaming flogging would contain 39 blows. And the soldiers then twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Now, if he was guilty... According to how they had perfected this process, Jesus would have broke. He would have admitted his rebellion. But he said nothing. 
So Pilate went back out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, to them, Behold the man. But that wasn't enough for them. Crucify him, they said. Scourging and flogging was not, didn't satisfy. So Pilate took Jesus back into his headquarters to examine him. That area there near the temple still stands today. They call it the stone pavement. Uh, last May, Nancy and I were able to walk through the tunnels, through the excavations of the remains of the Roman headquarters there in Jerusalem, and we sat on the benches, the stone benches that still remained there, and spent some time just peering out over to that open area where Jesus would have been flogged. Pilate examines him again and inquires of him again. Jesus remains silent. Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to set you free? And Jesus says, you wouldn't have any power except my Father in heaven had given it to you. Pilate sees no reason for Jesus to die. He, come, he was about to release him, and the crowd seemed to, seemed to sense that Pilate was actually going to release him back into their hands, so the crowd cried louder and louder, crucify him. And then they said that terrible thing. They said, we have one king, and that's Caesar, and if you release him, you are no friend of Caesar. There's not a greater threat that Pilate could have felt than those words. And so, upon that, according to John chapter 19, Pilate sentenced Jesus to the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a slow and shameful, tortuous death. As most of you know, the criminal was forced to carry the cross beam on which his arms would be stretched out and nailed. He was to carry it through the city, out of the gates, to a place called the place of the skull. Again, I was, we were able to visit a location outside of old Jerusalem that's very likely this place. If you, if you stood at the right angle, you would see in the face of this cliff that stood about as high as this, as this roof. And the, the, the cliff face looked like the opened eyes and the mouth of a skull. But we learned something there as we were standing as a historian would talk to us about the events taking place there. I learned that the Roman executions wouldn't take place on top of the hill. I mean, we sing the song on a hill far away. That's probably not what happened. They wouldn't crucify a criminal away from the people. They would crucify the criminal along the city streets because their greatest desire was that through the shameful, tortuous death, you would be warned not to even think about doing what this criminal had done. So this cliff was along the city streets and that's where they would 
placed this beam and nailed Jesus to the cross and, and crucify him. So as people walked by, he would be eye level. They could touch. They could smell. Maybe they could even feel the residue of the blood that had been shed during his terrible walk. A church historian, Justo Gonzalez, wrote this, that Jesus was crucified, like is stated in the Apostles' Creed. That's the most astonishing admission of the entire creed. For those early Christians to affirm that their Lord was crucified would be as scandalous as for someone today to affirm faith in a person who is executed in the electric chair. What the creed actually affirms is that the Lord died as a convicted criminal under Roman law. And if you were to read the Gospels of John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, you would, you would see the physical agony that Jesus would have endured. All the pain that a human could, the physical, the mental, the emotional anguish all recorded for us so that we would understand this is human. This isn't just some spirit. This isn't a divine figure that couldn't be touched with stuff that we deal with. No, this was, this was man. Just like humans today that could feel, that could agonize, that could die. Of course, Jesus also bore something much worse than that. The wrath of God was put on him. As all of our sins, every, every thought of lust, every word of gossip, every longing of envy was placed upon Jesus. Through his crucifixion, Jesus would fulfill the ancient prophecies that God had given through the years. Prophecies like Isaiah 53, where it says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, he was bruised for our sins, and upon him was the chastisement that brings us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Or Psalm 22 a thousand years, written a thousand years by, before Jesus by David. He says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots, which is exactly what happened at the foot of the cross. Even in Exodus 12, 1,500 years before this moment of the crucifixion, it said that the Passover lamb, you shall not break any of its bones. All of this demonstrating that this death, this criminal being crucified was no normal criminal. It was not just a crucifixion. This, is what, this was a prophesied execution. And in verse 28 of John 19, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, breathed his last and said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. Verse 38 says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And because of the Jewish day of preparation before the Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The creed continues and gives that little phrase, and he descended to the dead. Think about his descent. His descent didn't start there. His descent started when he was in the position of God, the center of heaven, where everything was bowed before him, that he was willing to let go of that expression and he took upon himself the form of a human and he humbled himself to live amongst us. And as human, he faced all the things that you face. Right? He faced the difficulties of sickness, experienced the heartache of family that mistreats you, experience rejection of people that you were demonstrating love to. He experienced the, the heartache of giving himself to someone and they turn away without any gratitude. He experienced the pain of a dear friend who died. But more than that, Jesus descended to the dead. The phrase seems to clarify to make sure that you have no doubts that it's not like Jesus just disappeared. It's not like he turned into a phantom and, and then moved on. He descended to the dead. He experienced that ending of his physical life and he entered the experience of death. But God's law declared that the consequence of sin is death. That's why people die, because there's sin. But the crazy thing is Jesus is the only one, the only human that ever lived and never sinned. He's the only one that doesn't deserve to die. Colossians 2, verse 14 says this. God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing 
over them in him or in Jesus. That being fully God and fully man, Jesus could fulfill the consequence of sin. He could stand as a representative for mankind, for humanity, because he was human. But being fully God, he could represent all of humanity because he was the creator of all humans. And in so doing, the Father could nail all of our sins and all of our offenses on him at the cross. And in so doing, as Paul writes, he disarmed or he defeated the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame and triumphed over them. In other words, his death was our rescue. He died our death so that we don't have to face that consequence of sin. He's taken away the sting of death. Joe had mentioned at the very beginning that we came tonight to celebrate the turning point for all humanity. Because up to that point, everyone must eternally die in their sins. And God had predicted that there was a solution that was coming and he gave the Jewish people their sacrificial system so they could be pointing to something that was coming. And every time they offered a sacrifice, it was pointing to something that greater that's coming. It never fully satisfied because they would have to keep offering another sacrifice because they would continue to sin until this moment we celebrate tonight. And that's when Jesus died, as Hebrew says, once for all. Being fully God and fully man, he could not just delay the payment of our sins. He canceled the payment. He canceled the debt. This isn't like the coronavirus. You don't have to pay your student loans back for a while. This is the, I've canceled it completely. Is that your grandkids that are going to have to pay for it? It's not the next generation. It's not like later on there's gonna, we're going to have to do this again. No, according to scripture, we see that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died and was buried. And he descended into death to triumph over all the enmity that stood against us. And scripture teaches that all who place their faith in Jesus are freed from that greatest enemy. There's nothing we have to do to add to it. You don't have to meet God halfway. He's fi- he, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was communicating that debt is paid. So we come to, to, to this commemoration tonight with heavy hearts because we know a bit of what it cost. But it, 
as someone I heard someone today call it, it's a serious joy that we have today. It's a serious and somber joy because our sin has been paid for. That is, if you've placed your faith in him, if you've, if you've embraced the claim that scripture gives that this has actually happened, the Bible says faith in this allows God, it, 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 it allows the application of this sacrifice to your account. So before I say anything else, let me ask you that question. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you placed your belief that Jesus, the Son of God, that he suffered, he was crucified, he died, and was buried, and as we'll celebrate this weekend, rose again to prove the payment was accepted. Is that where your faith is found? Not, not that you come to church, not that you're a good kid or a good person, not that you treat your wife or husband well, not all those great things, none of those things can purchase your forgiveness. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If so, I want to invite you to celebrate it with us. We want to do as Jesus instructed the church to do often when we gather. We want to celebrate his broken body for us. And that's why we have crackers and bread here in the front and in the back. We have uh, containers of juice for you to remind us of his shed blood. This is what Jesus called us to do. His followers of Jesus, often when you worship me, partake of the bread, which is my body. Partake of the cup, which is the new covenant in my blood. And I want to invite you to do that with us. So here's what we'll do. Well, I'd like to pray and ask God's blessing over this time. And then I'll invite you to either come to the front or go to the back, whichever table is closer, and, and take uh, one of each, take a bread and a cup and return to your, to your seats. And then let's just revel in the presence of God. Eric and Michael are going to sing and lead us in song. You're welcome to join them if you'd like. And then let's just allow this time just to... Just to um, reflect on what God has done for us. And I'm going to lead us in a, in a couple of phrases uh, once everybody's returned to your seats. So let me pray, and then you can go to the table to receive your elements. Father, I thank you for this time that we as a church can gather to commemorate what you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the willingness of Jesus to submit to the will of, your, of, of you, his Father, to suffer the agony of the cross, I thank you for the rightness and the perfection of that sacrifice that fully paid our sin debt. And now, Lord, I pray that you would just tune our hearts to be in tune with yours, Lord. I pray that you'd examine us, you'd seek our hearts, and may we truly honor you and how we celebrate, Lord. So bless this time, bless the bread, bless the cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Under the tables.
Let's bow in prayer together. As we pray, let me lead you in some, some personal prayer. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, you talk to Jesus and, and take a moment and just thank him for his willingness to suffer and die for you. Take a moment and thank him for cleansing you from sin. And then ask God to examine your heart to reveal any waywardness, any inconsistencies, any any ways you've lived your life that just hasn't been true to what you claim you believe. If the Spirit of God points something out to you, call it sin. Commit to turning from it. And let God renew you. Father, I thank you for the time that we can commemorate your death and your sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that this would be an act of faith that would, that would call us to an even greater zeal for you, a greater faithfulness to live according to this 
description of life that our Savior has given everything for us. That night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. Would you take that cracker with me? He took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus together. Take that cup. As Jesus did in a similar way, he blessed the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, drink this in remembrance of me. This is the new covenant in my blood. Let's remember Jesus together. Father, you've been so generous to us. You've given your one and only son. You've allowed him to suffer. In fact, you planned it from the beginning. And Lord, I know that if you would cure this greatest issue that we have, this problem of sin... Lord, we know there's so much more you want to do. That, Lord, you want to give a, that abundant life, that spirit-filled life, a life that's filled with joy despite the circumstances. It's an eternal home in heaven. And, Lord, we celebrate that. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. I know as we look to Jesus and we've reflected on him tonight, Lord, that it has caused us deep sorrow and deep pain, and yet, Lord, in the midst of it, we find great joy because our debt is paid. Praise you, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's worship. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.